So we are in the, middle, the midst of a series in worship here that we're continuing on for another several weeks where each week we're looking at someone who is significant in the faith, who is an icon of the faith. And you'll see that we have one here on the altar this morning. There's a picture and a quote from Brother Lawrence. And they are hanging in the windows on either side of the sanctuary are those we have met so far on the journey. Francis of Assisi over, excuse me, Julian of Norwich over here. Um, Harriet Tubman over there. We have Fanny Crosby in the back there and Sandhu Sundar Singh in the back corner over there. Each of them adding some bit of flavor to what it means and looks like to live as a person of faith. For they are all unique in their diversities, for God has created us all to be unique in our diversities. And so as we hear their stories, reflect on the witness they leave us, they can both guide us in following their paths, as well as they can encourage us to live as the unique people of God that we are. And so we pray that our uh, experience and encounter with Brother Lawrence this morning helps point us back to the God who has made us and calls us in our living. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. These are the right instructions, Wendell Berry once wrote, in reference to that small portion at the center of this morning's scripture. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. I am always thankful to have a recipe to follow, whether it's for cooking in the kitchen or for living the Christian life. I don't even mind recipes when they're lacking in specifics because even a few helpful words of guidance can provide some much-needed boundaries to keep me pointed in the right direction. And this inner portion of 1 Thessalonians seems a little bit more like an ingredient list than a recipe, but even that seems workable. A little rejoicing, a little prayer, a little giving thanks. And so we can take those ingredients, perhaps, and we can cook to taste, mixing joy and prayer and thanks together in the bowl until the color looks just right, maybe adding it to a bit of garlic and butter, sautéed in the stove, sprinkling in some salt for flavor until it really shines. And we could experiment with cooking techniques in case poaching or stewing works better with joy or with thanks, uh, or we can just let it simmer there for a while. It's a recipe I think I can work with. All I really wish is that I knew how long it would take. There are some things I hope for in faith, ways that I'm anxious for myself and for the world to change, and I'd like to know if we're working with a 30-minute recipe that can be pulled together after a long day of work or if we've been stuck with a multi-hour monstrosity that requires the better part of an open weekend. The table is set, everybody's getting a bit hungry, and I need to know just how quickly can we get this dish cooked up. Of course, if the scripture turned recipe were to give a time frame, I'd probably have to double it. That's what I do with the recipes that we cook at home. I mean, honestly, is there anything more unrealistic than the time a recipe says it will take to complete it? I think not. I think not. I am sure that recipes printed in cookbooks are tested multiple times to ensure that they work, but I doubt that the preparation time is so rigorously checked. Frankly, I would not be surprised if prior to printing, 
Every recipe was forwarded to a small office at the end of the hall where some sadistic soul who has never once tried to dice a tomato while simultaneously caramelizing onions in a pan gives the instructions a quick once-over before proclaiming, Nah, I could do this in a half hour, no problem. And then forevermore it is so. It has been pronounced a 30-minute recipe, and regardless of physics' pesky constraints, so it shall be. I would love nothing more than to be proven wrong in this regard. And on the evenings that meal preparations fall to me, I do often cook with a desperate intensity in an attempt to keep up with the recipe's imaginary pacer. Something will be simmering on one burner while the meat is browning on another while I'm also trying to prep vegetables and dish out spices, amassing an ever-growing pile of dirty dishes which presses me into an ever-decreasing portion of available counter space. And no matter how hard I try, I always fall behind. We added an instant pot to our kitchen some time ago, and I am sorry to report that however much faster an instant pot may be than any other cooking method, it is still significantly slower than instantaneous. Instant cooking is probably impossible anyway. Every recipe takes some more or less fixed amount of time, no matter how much we want to rush to the final product. And as earnestly as we hope for healing and wholeness in ourselves and for justice and peace in creation, the recipe for Christian living takes time to prepare. And rather than trying to rush from beginning to end, there may be a better way. Many have found that Brother Lawrence, who was himself often found in the kitchen preparing meals for the monastery where he lived, knew this better way. Brother Lawrence was born Nicholas Herman around 1614 in what is today eastern France. Nicholas was the son of peasants. He received little, if any, schooling and was eventually forced by his poverty to join the army where he did receive food and a small stipend while fighting in the Thirty Years' War. It was during this time that Nicholas had a unique spiritual experience where he noticed a leafless and barren tree in the middle of the battlefield one winter. And seeing how the tree was silently and patiently waiting for the abundant summer would so reliably bring, Nicholas suddenly understood the extravagance of the love of God. For like the tree, he was seemingly dead but had the fullness of life waiting for him. After an injury ended his career in the army, Nicholas became a valet but was hampered by an apparently natural clumsiness. And when he was middle-aged, he joined the discalced Carmelite monastery in Paris. He was a lay brother, which means that he wasn't a priest, and he took the name Lawrence of the Resurrection, but was mostly known as simply Brother Lawrence. He was presumably looking for some degree of spiritual transformation when he joined the monastery, a push towards the fullness that he envisioned with the tree so many years before, but it didn't come, at least not right away. He was assigned in the monastery kitchen for the tedious work of cooking and cleaning, tasks which he says he naturally disliked. I understand. And it was there, doing menial work for the foreseeable future, that Brother Lawrence learned and welcomed the same wisdom found in First Thessalonians. Pray continually. First Thessalonians is the oldest text in the New Testament. It is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And it's a word of assurance written to this community that he deeply loved 
and this community that was worried because Jesus hadn't come back yet. This was a significant concern in the early church, as they knew first or second hand that Jesus had promised his disciples that he would return for them, and he would bring about a new fullness for all of creation. And while there had been no promised timeline, in fact, Jesus had said they wouldn't know the day or the hour of his return, well, as the years passed and five years turned to ten and ten years turned to more, well, the Christians of that time grew anxious, and they wanted to press forward to that blessed moment yet to come. And so some 20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Thessalonians, now as Paul was writing them this letter, were particularly concerned because some members of their community had died and the remaining congregation wasn't sure what it meant for the deceased that they didn't make it to the time when Jesus got back. And so Paul writes this letter to assure them there is no cause for concern because those who die in Christ are raised in Christ. And so while they have been lost from the community, they have never been lost to God. It is a good word of comfort and assurance. But Paul doesn't conclude the letter here with this theological note about resurrection. He continues on into the passage we heard today, speaking about the life of the community still living and living together, because their worries about the dead were not the only symptom that came from a myopic focus focus on the days to come. The Thessalonians were pushing so fervently for the future that they were fracturing their present by neglecting their community life. After all, building a community is slow and long-term work, and so it would have seemed very out of place against their high-intensity drive toward a carefully imagined coming reality. This is something we can be prone to as people, and perhaps especially as Christians, because our faith welcomes future hope. Our faith presents promises about what will surely be by the faithfulness of God's good hand. And so hearing these promises, we paint the picture in our mind so clearly that we can be enraptured by our own artwork and we fail to see anything around us in the present. We can fixate on any part of it. Individually, it might be our idea, our idea about how God would bring about the perfect family or the fulfilling career or the blessedly comfortable life. And communally, it might be about how God will bless the church with the number of folks worshiping in the sanctuary or how comfortable the margins of the church finances are or how many children there are present in the church. And while it is not bad to dream these dreams, Paul doesn't want the church to miss sight of the present they're living in. And so he encourages the Thessalonians to heed the instruction of their leaders, whose job it is to build up and strengthen the community. He instructs them to live in peace, to comfort one another, to help the weak, to be patient, to forgive and seek the best for one another. Far from neglecting their community, Paul wants the Thessalonians to invest in the community around them in that moment. And then Paul says to them, rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In every situation, always, continuously, Paul says, not just the future, but every fleeting moment of the present that passes us by. Paul takes the Thessalonians who have found God in the future and insists that they find God right where they are in the moment. Don't rush so quickly onward that you don't take a look at the moments you're passing. 
This is what Brother Lawrence did and did so well that people started coming from all over to talk to this lay brother who worked in the kitchen, writing letters to this middle-aged man who washed dishes in a monastery. And the only reason we have a record of him today is that he appeared so remarkable that a priest was sent to interview him to understand what he had learned, which was so meaningful. And what was it? Pray, always. He said once, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Pray continuously. But that seems like a challenge so often. How can we even imagine forever conversing with God? And throughout history, many have offered and tried complicated solutions, but Brother Lawrence offered something simpler. He explained once that men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and they set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of God? This is what Brother Lawrence did. Chopping vegetables, cooking meals, washing dishes, It was all done for the love of God, with rejoicing and thanksgiving, and always as a prayer. He didn't look to the future for the chance to meet God, but found the divine presence continually, wherever he was, whatever he was doing. Brother Lawrence insisted that it was not hard to start. He said once, God does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace. Sometimes to offer him your sufferings. At other times to thank him for the graces past and present he has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. He is nearer to us than we think. In this present moment, listen. Can you hear God? Taste, touch, breathe. Is God here, nearer to us than we think? In the good moments and the bad, the wonderful and the mundane, the things we look forward to doing and those we would rather not need to do, in the difficulties and the weaknesses, in the moments of small faith and petty issues, of great praises and great suffering, could God be here? Could we pause long enough to let God show up somewhere in the listening or the touching or the tasting or the hearing or the breathing? Find that God is present in this moment, in this reality, in this life we are living. Wendell Berry's full take on Paul's instruction was actually this. You mustn't wish for another life. You mustn't want to be someone else. What you must do is this. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. I am not all the way capable of so much, but those are the right instructions. It's not a recipe to rush through. 
There's no time limit on it, but one to make and make again, to cook and cook again, to nourish us today and tomorrow in this moment and the next. It may not be fast. It may not be done soon, but these are the right instructions. God is present here. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, I invite you as we